All right, good evening. You came back. I'm so happy to see you. Amy Prano said her family's been sick for a while, and uh, you know how sickness runs through it. When you have a big family, it's like everybody takes turns, you know, and uh, she watched the message this morning on Facebook and uh, said, she's like, well, she had to come back tonight, you know, after that, so, uh, so I appreciate that. Um, what would you say Mike said? Did he quit like that on purpose right in the middle of it? Just so people come back? So, no, I didn't, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, it wasn't a plan of mine, but um, I just try not to rush through it this morning, you know, and then I realized I had too much to say. Um, turn to Matthew 21. If you were not here this morning, I think everybody I see... Uh, was here, so I am not going to rehash everything I said this morning. If somebody wasn't here, didn't hear it, uh, that I'm missing, just go back and listen this morning and figure it out, okay? <laughs> um, I don't want to rehash everything I said this morning because I, I want to finish this up tonight. Uh, but let's, we'll, we'll read Matthew 21, and we'll just start reading actually with verse 12, okay, verse 12 uh, down to verse 16, uh, part two of this morning's uh, message. Uh, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and, and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, uh, but you have made it a den of thieves. Uh, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. Uh, then he left them and went out of the city of Bethany and he lodged there. Let's pray. Uh, Father, help us this evening, Lord, as we come to you and with the continuation of this morning's uh, lesson, and I pray that, Lord, that we've been thinking about some of those things today as we've come here, uh, Lord, to hear the rest. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd work in my heart, Lord, and help me truly to be uh, wanting you, Lord, to cleanse that, this temple of mine. Uh, Lord, I pray that you drive out those things that hinders a, a pure worship, uh, drive out those things that desire a convenient and easy worship, an easy and convenient life. And help me, Lord, to be willing, uh, Father, to uh, truly, Lord, surrender my all unto you. Drive out from us, we pray, Lord, the things that would hinder a pure and sincere worship unto you as you are worthy. In Jesus' name, and amen. All right, so we're just going to pick right up where we left off uh, this morning. Um, in regards to Jesus and what he said here uh, to them when he said, uh, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Uh, very quickly on what he said to them regarding a den of thieves. Um, Jesus said this, of course, to those who bought and sold in the temple, and so what we understand maybe the thief aspect, there's some dishonesty going here, and I think that there was some false balances possibly in the money changers, so they weren't exchanging rate probably the right way, and Jesus knew that. 
there's definitely some things there, but I'm not focusing so much on the thieves part uh, for just a moment, but uh, when he says you are made it a den of thieves, a den of thieves. And so plural, there were many of them, thieves. Um, so I, I think very, no doubt the house of God was being used as a place to change the money that people brought in from out of town and there was some dishonesty going out in the exchange rate and how that was taking place. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I assure you that Jesus is very upset with those who hide their iniquity under the cloak of Christianity. I mean, here you have this, this process going on, which was a necessary process for Jerusalem, for people coming from out of town, uh, but taking place there at the house of, of the Lord, and, and then doing it even then doing it, and then doing it dishonestly as well, uh, and hiding underneath the, the cloak of of the people of God. Um, but also a den. When he says a den of thieves, a, a den was a place of hiding, like a cave. Um, and, and so uh, the idea here is that they were hiding. They were hiding in the house of God while doing this. And, and, and this just kind of struck out at me because there's just a lot of people that underneath the guise of Christianity, the name of Christianity, they hide their sin there. Uh, many people see Christians as vulnerable sometimes uh, because we're supposed to be loving, we're supposed to be forgiving. And sometimes people that want to create and, and do great iniquity sometimes see Christians and Christian churches a, as a a good place to do that because we're supposed to be loving and trusting people, forgiving people. And, and, and so, uh, but anyhow, we, we find here that he calls them, uh, says that they have made it a den of thieves. And so it was a place of hiding for, for those who were immoral and corrupt to, to come together and to practice their wickedness. That's, that's terrible when, when the house of God comes, becomes a place of gathering for people of iniquity who are continuing in that sin. Paul tells Titus about those who profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every uh, good work. You know, it, it is worse whenever a, a place that is supposed to be a church promotes iniquity. It's worse when it's done underneath that guise. I mean, we can see that with the Lord. He, he got more upset with his own people than he did with, with the nations that, that were doing the same things. I mean, it was because they knew the Lord. They knew the truth. And, and, and it, it is worse whenever we have a knowledge of God, and yet we do the same things the world is doing. We can say, hey, the world is terrible for doing that. I think I can say it's more terrible when we do it. Um, and, and Jesus noted that several times about how that the people that, that, that knew him, the people that were around him during his earthly ministry, that their iniquity was worse than that of Sodom and Gomorrah because they had had all those opportunities to see him. He says, your judgment will be greater than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so whenever we know more about the Lord, our sin is worse. And, and, and we need to realize that. Now, uh, let us move on from here because we have this purging of the Lord coming in, casting out that which is in pure worship, casting these things out. And, and then he says this. We looked at this this morning. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So when think of it like this. We thought about our body as being a temple. And the, the Lord 
comes in and the Lord purges that. When the Lord comes in and rules and reigns in our life, He pushes those things out, okay, that hinders pure worship. And then, he's, and then when the Lord does that, when He cleanses the temple, He, he restored the focus on prayer. He restored the focus on prayer. His house, he says, shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer is a part of our worship as we assemble. We must seek to make prayer a priority and emphasize it even more in the services. And I think sometimes I fail at that. But they had, they had so much else going on in the temple, right? They had so much else going on in the temple, and the buying and the selling and the exchange rate, all, all this corruption as well going along with that. They had all this going on that prayer was gone. Not only were they doing these things, I think that prayer was not even involved. And listen, we can become so busy, even, even while we're here, so much going on that the spirit of prayer cannot be present. The spirit of petition, the spirit of intercession. I want to, I want to cultivate that more. Here in God's house. We, mu- we must make sure we're making prayer a vital part of the service. A church can be very busy sometimes even in good things that we leave off prayer. But when we lose the importance of prayer, listen, Jesus is not ruling in that house. When we lose the importance of prayer, Jesus is not ruling. If we want genuine revival, then we must be committed to private prayer and public prayer. All aspects of, of the worship service are important. Not just the preaching, not just the singing, but, but praying together. I think we need more prayer together, not less. Uh, Henry Blackaby wisely stated this. He said, all revival begins and continues in the prayer meeting. Some have also called prayer the great fruit of revival. In times of revival, thousands may be found on their knees for hours lifting up their heartfelt cries and thanksgivings to heaven. The revival definitely begins with prayer. Now, let me read to you what this one pastor said to his congregation. And I, I believe he understood it well. He said, Brothers and sisters, I really feel that I've heard from God about the future of our church. While I was away, I was calling out to God to help us, to help me understand what He wants most from us. And I believe I've heard an answer. It's not fancy or profound or spectacular. But I want to say to you with all the seriousness I can muster, from this day on, the prayer meeting will be the barometer of our church. What happens Tuesday night will be the gauge by which we will judge success or failure because that will be the measure by which God blesses us. No matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend upon our times of prayer. Folks, prayer is important. It's our dependence upon God, privately and collectively. If we need anything more as a church, say, well, we need, what do we need more as a church? We tell you, we need more prayer together. More prayer together. Fervent prayer from united hearts that are repentant, that are believing, that are deeply in love with the Lord Jesus Christ his word and his people. Now, so far as us personally, our personal lives, ask ourselves the question what is our prayer life like? Just as there were things in the temple so busy and hectic, things going on that shouldn't have been going on, 
But what that did, not only were those things wrong, but it hindered the spirit of prayer. So much business, so much activity, and some things immoral. Is there a spirit of prayer in our life? These are the houses of God. The Holy Spirit is within us. Prayer is more than a posture, isn't it? It's not about being in the right position. uh, Though I think getting on my knees at times is helpful because it helps helps me mentally (laughs) to focus, to humble myself. And so I I think those are good times with the Lord. Uh, Prayer is more than being in a certain place, though I think having a certain place where you get along with the Lord is very vital. Jesus did that. But prayer is most definitely a disposition, an attitude of our heart that we can have at all times. We need certain places where we pray, certain times that we pray. Uh, but we need, we need to understand that prayer is a vital part of our whole life, of every day. It isn't just, it isn't just coming to the prayer meeting. That's part of it, but that's, but that's not all of it. Listen, where Jesus is ruling, where Jesus is reigning, there should be much supplication and intercession going on. And so, if you want a barometer in your own personal life, where you're at spiritually, is Jesus Christ ruling and is He reigning? Is He king? Ask yourself this question, are you a praying person? Because it says a whole lot about you. Just like it says a whole lot about a church, it says a whole lot about us, our temple. Is this a temple of prayer? It says much about a relationship to the Lord. Uh, Thomas Kelly said this regarding being in constant prayer. He said, There is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs, but deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. I love that. Because I think we can, we can do both. I think we can be about your daily activity, doing everything at work you need to do, but behind the scenes there is a communion, a dependence, a trust, a relying, a, a praise of God going on at the same time. Are we not, don't we know we can do that at the same time? I, I, you can do the opposite. You can do bad things in your mind at the same time, right? I mean, you can be talking to somebody about work or about this and that, and at the same time, in the back of your mind, you've got some filthy iniquity going on. <laughs> you can do that. Can't you do the other? We need to be doing the other, of course. I also like what John MacArthur said. He said, to pray at all times is to live in continual God consciousness. I like that. Where everything we see and experience becomes a kind of prayer. Lived in deep awareness of and surrender to our Heavenly Father. To obey this exhortation means that when we are tempted, we hold the temptation before God and ask for His help. When we experience something good and beautiful, we immediately thank the Lord for it. When we see evil all around us, we pray that God will make it right and be willing to be used of Him to that end. When we meet someone who does not know Christ, we pray for God to draw that person to Himself and to use us to be a faithful witness. When we encounter trouble, we turn to God as our deliverer. In other words, our life becomes a continually ascending prayer, a perpetual communion with our Heavenly Father 
to pray at all times is to constantly set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It takes discipline to think like that. It really does. Prayer is not easy. And prayer goes totally contrast to, to the flesh. I mean, Jesus made that clear when He came back and you know, uh, Peter and the rest of them were asleep and He had told them to pray. And He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is a battle. It is work. The problem so often, though, is that we are filling our hearts and minds with so many other things that they are driving prayer out. Satan wants to drive prayer out of the church, out of the congregation, and he wants to drive it out of our life. We need to continually seek to ask Jesus to drive things out of our life, out of our hearts, out of our minds, that keep us from communing with Him. You know, we're often doing a lot of thinking, aren't we, about stuff. We need to be doing a lot of praying, interceding. I pray that God, the Lord, would would cleanse our temples from that which distracts us from genuine walking and communion with Him. I I don't want us just to, to come here and be ready for worship here. I want that. But I want you to live a life of worship. A life where you're continually seeking to praise God, to to pray unto God, to petition, to to give supplication that your life as a temple of the Holy Spirit would be a continual phase of worship. Life worship. He didn't save us just to worship Him on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. He saved us that we would live a life of worship. That our life would always be about that. You know, the, the temple, one of the things that, that Jesus said back in John, said, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise. And, 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 and in Matthew, he said, you made a den of thieves. And so definitely the, the desire for money, covetousness is involved. Covetousness. But the temple had those in them that were covetous as they had made God's house, that house of merchandise. And, and listen, covetousness can consume our minds, can it? The desire for so many things of this world and its life. Wanting this and then we get that and then we're wanting that. The desire for earthly treasure cannot live in the same house that is committed to prayer and devotion to the Almighty. Covetousness will consume our minds. It will drive out the spirit of prayer. You'll be thinking more about what you want, what you desire, rather than what the Lord desires of us. Now here's what I want to come to next because I just this jumped out at me. Sometimes it's, it's so neat whenever you're studying the Word of God and it's like one word just hits you so hard and very insignificant word in the English language but it's play, where the placement of it is like it just spoke to me so much. So Jesus comes in, cleanses the temple. And we've likened that into our temple. It needs cleanse. We've got some sin to get rid of, Right? We need to refocus on prayer. Personal life, public life, refocus on prayer. That takes place. Verse 14. First word, then. <laughs> that jumped out at me so much. It's a, it's, a, it's a time frame. Then. Then the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple. 
after Jesus purged the temple, after He established the need of prayer, then the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple. I just see that as very significant. I'm not going to say a whole lot about that. I think it somewhat speaks for itself. But consider that this possibility that, that this evening that maybe the Lord would use us individually more, use us more as a church to reach the spiritually blind and the spiritually lame that do not know how to walk with Jesus when our temples, when our temples uh, get purged and we really get serious about prayer and communion with God. There, there may be a desire in, in all of us this evening to see others experience spiritual healing. But we may find uh, that when we are, are just so full of Jesus and completely yielded to Him, that we're seeking to purge out worldly and fleshly desires and, and driving them out, and we're truly walking with the Lord in prayer and devotion, that then we might find that the Lord may be able to use us more in administering healing to others. So maybe when we as individuals purge our temples, when we live lives that are devoted to prayer and the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ, who knows what we might see and how God might use us as individuals and as a church. It's interesting to me, the blind and the lame did not show up until the Scriptures say the Lord cast these things out. I want to be used of the Lord to administer the gospel and to bring healing into people's lives. But at the same time, I believe that I need to seek to be that vessel of the Lord that the Lord's pleased with, to, to have those things driven from my life that shouldn't be there. To, to be that person that, that's, a, that's a walking temple of the Lord. Walking with Christ and worshiping Him. And I may find that the Lord will then maybe bring the blind and the lame to where I'm at so that I can minister to them. The Lord brought the blind and lame to the temple when the temple got where it needed to be, refocused. And who knows what the Lord might do. The Lord then did, it said He did what many, and the scribes saw the wonderful things that He did in the temple. And who knows what wonderful things the Lord will do when we, I mean among us here, in these walls, what God might do when we seek as individuals to have our lives purged before the Lord and walk with the Lord. And then we come in here and worship the Lord together. Who knows what wonderful things we may see. What wonderful things the Lord might do through us through the week or around us as in our life or here in the house of the Lord. Now as a result of all of this, okay, as a result of all this, it says next, I mean, the blind and lame, I mean, they're being healed. The chief priests, the scribes, they see this. And it says next, it says, and they saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, says they were indignant. So now the children are now crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Does that sound a little familiar to you? It should. Where did they learn that? 
Where did they learn that? To praise Jesus that way. They just heard it a little while ago when Jesus was coming in. I've always, it's so funny, things jump out at you because I've always thought about the children praising Him. And I thought about the people at the same time, but I didn't think about the children heard that the adults do it first. I'm not saying children weren't involved some in the first time, but they heard that. They heard that. Parents, your example of how you worship the Lord each day, how you come to God's house, will greatly influence and impact your children. They see your attitude. I mean, when you're really coming for worship, if they see no joy or excitement in your life about the worship of the Lord, you shouldn't expect that from them. Now, the Lord obviously desired their praise, and I love the words of Jesus when He says, out of the mouth of babes and, and nursing infants, is what that actually refers to. Uh, nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Do, do, our, do our children see that Jesus Christ rules and reigns in our temple? Do they see that Jesus is purging our hearts, our lives? We seek to have a life of worship and devotion unto Him. And hopefully... Hopefully they do not see that we are one person on Sunday and another the rest of the week, that we truly are not hiding underneath the cloak of religion while being void of a relationship of Christ. I can't get past the fact that the children heard the adults. Now, in, in, in regards to, to us here at New Testament, I, I want us to, to be aware of something. Oftentimes churches can fall into a trap of thinking, well, if we can just get the children all excited about Jesus, well, that will really transform our church. Wrong thinking. I love, our, our, I love ministering to the kids. Nothing wrong with that. that. But it's not about trying to reach the kids so that you guys can get right. <laughs> all right? Not about that. I really want my children to be excited for the Lord. Well, if we only had a... If we only had a better youth leader, boy, I, I, I bet they'd get excited about Jesus. Well, that attitude, I think they need a little better parent. <laughs> Folks, we've got to be careful because the Lord has put those children into our trust. We are their example. And I believe that, that, that so much can, can be said about ourselves by what some, sometimes, not all the time, <laughs> By sometimes by how we see the attitudes in children. Church, the best thing to get our children excited about the things of God is for them to see their parents and other adults in the congregation committed to the person of Christ, worshiping Christ, committed to the Lord and to, to His ministry. Whether you have kids or not, the, the, the little Guys we have running around here, little gals we have running around here, they see our attitudes as we come to worship the Lord. And we want the kids to be excited for Jesus. We want to worship Jesus and serve Jesus. They need to see that in us. They seen that in the other adults as they were praising Jesus. Hosanna to the Son of David. The children then are later doing that. We can't expect to, to, to want them to to participate in things that we are not even participating in. But I think there's more here too in regards that we can learn. Not only is there an example we need to remember, but lastly from this, what I see as well is that 
Jesus cleanses the temple. Prayer is restored. And then I believe Jesus is also restoring a childlike faith and praise. May may the Lord cleanse us from high-mindedness regarding how we may think we're so theologically perfect and and, and restore a childlike trust in Jesus. And I want to be theologically perfect. (laughs) I want to believe everything right. But sometimes we, in many ways, we we complicate the Christian faith. Sometimes we have so many how-to books and we've removed the simplicity of the gospel and what it means to just walk with God. The instructions aren't that hard. It's just hard to do because of the flesh. We complicate things so much. You know, the the people, when you look at the whole context and what we said this morning, remember that the people thought they wanted Jesus to, to rule in Jerusalem. And they thought that's, some of them, that, no doubt, thought that's why He was coming. He was coming to, to rule in Jerusalem. They, they thought that. But their temple wasn't ready. Their temple wasn't ready for Him. And in relationship today, they said, well, we want Jesus to come back and rule and reign. Oh, we talk about the millennium, how wonderful it's going to be. And I believe it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful when Jesus Christ rules and reigns. But we need to ask ourselves the question, is our temple ready for His return? Is our temple ready for His return? Are you ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? He's coming back and He's going to rule and He's going to reign. So I know I'm saved, preacher. I'm talking about beyond that. First, be saved, absolutely. But we need to be, make sure we're walking with the Lord. That, that we are having purged from our life the things that shouldn't be there. And that we are living a life of worship, of prayer and devotion. And that we're being used to the Lord to reach out, to administer healing to those around us. And that, and that, that then uh, we, we are uh, truly, truly have that childlike faith and trust in the Lord. Just so simple. Sometimes I really want that, you know? I wrote this prayer out based on what we have uh, talked about this morning and tonight, and I hope that you can uh, pray it with me, okay? Let's all bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you hear our confession that we that we have filled so many times our temples with things that will not please You. Father, we need Jesus to help us to drive out convenience and to replace it with conviction. We need help that we may have driven out of us selfishness and replace it with sacrifice. Father, remind us as we come to this place that we are coming for the purpose of worship. Help us to make worship a priority in our private life and in our public life. Use us then, Lord, to reach others who are in need of healing. Lord, there are many who are in desperate need of You, and we want to be fit vessels of mercy to administer help to others. 
Father, help us to be the right examples at home and in public and to the young people in our life. May they see a people that are real and genuine and a people that desire to submit unto King Jesus in every aspect of our life. Lord, restore a childlike trust in You. Often, Lord, we have complicated our walk with You. Help us to have childlike faith that takes You at Your Word and is very trusting. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing so many things to defile Your temple, things that keep us from truly serving and worshiping You. And we pray together, Lord, asking for forgiveness through the blood of Your Son and for the praise of His glory. Use us, we pray. Purge us. Take from our lives that which needs to be taken. Drive out the impurities and use us for Your honor and for Your glory that we might be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ when He comes to rule upon this earth. In His name we pray and amen.